uh, there were bad blood between Sarah and Hagar, and uh, between Ishmael and Isaac, and Hagar and Ishmael were sent away, God would be with them, but Abraham sacrifices the son that he raised for a number of years and, and loved and cared about. And um, some time passes, I don't know exactly how long, but uh, by the time of chapter 22, Isaac is clearly at least a young man, able to carry wood and uh, understand and so forth. He's a, not just a, a baby or a, a little child. And uh, you know this story, but it's still a very amazing story. So would somebody read chapter 22, verses 1 to 6? Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. And he said, Take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. He split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go yonder, and we will worship and return to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. He said <coughs> in his hand the knife, or the fire and the knife, so the two of them walked on together. Okay. So, um, we learn in the very beginning of this chapter what this really is. What is this? Now, does Abraham know this is a test? Why not? Wouldn't be a test. Exactly. <laughs> if he had known it wouldn't be a test, reminds you of Job. If Job had known everything that was going on, it really wouldn't be a test of whether or not a man will serve God for nothing or not. You know, so kind of the whole situation depends on Abraham not knowing this, but we're told this up front so that we're sort of shielded from the full impact of what God tells Abraham. And uh, what does he tell Abraham? Son, go to where I tell him, mountain I tell you, and uh, offer him there. Yes, this is unbelievable. <coughs> Notice in verse 2, what does he call Isaac? Your son, your only son, whom you love. Yeah. Wow. This is not just any old son. This don't is the son of promise. Don't get the wrong one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you make sure you get your only one. <laughs> yeah. But it shows how special he was. Not that you'd sacrifice any child, but this was the child. He was how old when Isaac was born? <clears throat> oh, I'm sorry. He's a hundred years old. He's a hundred. He'd been waiting a while. You know, it's just hard to imagine. And what, how else was Isaac especially special? He, he, he was Sarah's. Yes. And Ishmael had not been. How else was he specially special? He was the, the promise through the... Or the Fulfillment of the promises. Absolutely. If we kill Isaac, what's going to happen to all those promises God made that depend on 
Isaac for their fulfillment. Isaac has no children yet. We can't have a great nation through Isaac. We can't, you know, uh, have the descendants inherit the land through Isaac. We can't, you know, have the, the blessings coming to all the families of the earth through Isaac. If Isaac dies, childless. So he's asking Abraham not only to sacrifice his dear son, but to sacrifice, you know, the promise. Um, you know, there have been altars Abraham made where God renewed the promises, but now he's to build an altar to sacrifice those same promises, it looks like. That's just, wow. Can you imagine how difficult that would be to do? And look in verse 2. What are the verbs that God tells Abraham to, to do? Take. Offer. And in the middle? Go. Take. Go. Offer. Whoa. That's just, that's very heavy. Uh, it's just it's just hard to imagine making that kind of a sacrifice. Is there any sensible reason to do this? You know, it's totally against everything. All your hopes, all your dreams, all natural affection. Why would Abraham ever do something like this? Because he Exactly. He has faith in God, and that's what God said to do. So... How long does it take Abraham to decide to actually implement this plan? Immediately. Yeah, when does he get up? Early. Early the next morning. I think it would have been a fine day to sleep in, don't you think? You know, he unquestionably and promptly, no debate. In fact, again, look at the verbs uh, for Abraham in verse 3. He rose, saddled. he saddled, he took his two men, and Isaac, he split, split. he arose, and he went. There is lots of activity. He's hurrying, he's saddling, he's taking, he's splitting, he's arising, he's going. He is just on the ball, getting the job done, doing what God said, when you would think you would come up with any possible excuse to delay this, to procrastinate. Well, I don't have the wood split, you know, how can I? Well, I've got to, you know, but he is Mr. Efficient in getting everything ready so that he can go there to sacrifice his son. Why would he do this this promptly? He might not do it otherwise. Maybe so. What's, but what's the real answer to the question? Why does he do it this promptly? He's obeying. God said to do it. He's obeying. When God tells you to do something, and you say later, what are you saying to God about right now? I'm not going to do it right now. No. <laughs> later is just saying no now. And a lot of people deceive themselves into thinking that they're still saying yes to God when they procrastinate, but that's really just a polite no. So, he does it right away. But now, here's something that makes this more difficult. Where is he supposed to make the sacrifice? Mountains of Moriah. And how long did it take him to get there? Three days. Now, do you see how that makes it more difficult? He had to think of that all the way, didn't he? And exactly. Isaac doesn't know. You know, so this is not a reaction. 
This is a decision. This is something he's had a chance to weigh out and think about and step by step he has to choose to keep going toward Moriah. Three days journey. Have you ever had something that you really, 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 really didn't want to do but you knew you'd have to? How does it feel in the days right before that time comes? Excruciating. Yes. We have a word for that. What do we, what do we call that? Uh, bad anticipation of something that we don't want. Anxiety. Dread. Dread. Dread's what I'm thinking about. And I'll tell you, there are times when the dread's a lot worse than the event. Yeah. You know, you probably had some things like that where you were so dreading it and the actual thing wasn't as bad as the dread. I just can't imagine the torture in Abraham's soul. <clears throat> what trust and faith and obedience to go through. It would have been easier if it had just been Abraham do it and he'd have grabbed the knife and plunged it in right then. That would have been easier. You know, just reflex, don't think about it, just do it. But he has to plan and purpose and execute and go for a long period of time. And the narrator sort of slows down the story through here. You know, uh, I think he's trying to help us feel this. You know, on the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go over there and we will worship and return to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife, so the two of them walked on together. I mean, some of those details are pretty much what you'd have to do. We could have probably figured that out already, but I think we're forced to think about this longer just like Abraham was. And think about what this is saying in verse 6. Who's carrying what? Isaac's carrying his own wood to burn himself. So it kind of reminds you of what? Jesus carrying a cross. It does. And what's Abraham <coughs> carrying? The knife and the fire. The very weapons he will wield against his son. Wow. <clears throat> Amazing. Comments and questions? I think another thing that makes this incredible, there is no explanation. God doesn't explain anything. He just tells him to do this. And on other occasions, when God has come to Abraham with the, uh, like in chapter 15, where I'm a shield to you, Abraham has replied to him. It, he, doesn't, he doesn't even make a reply here. He doesn't ask a question. And uh, that, that, again, that shows uh, Abraham's faith. Do you do that? God tells you to do something. It's not what you want. It doesn't really make a lot of sense. It just seems so wrong. But clearly in God's word, it's what he says. Mm -hmm. Do you do it? Do you do it promptly, unquestioningly? Wow. I think I'd have been trying to find another interpretation. <laughs> you know, there's some theologians that might be gifted in getting around that. Other thoughts? 
in verse 5, he's like, um, stay here to the young man, and I and the lad will go over there, and we will worship and return. He's saying we're both going to return. He was saying that, wasn't he? I think that's really good faith in Abraham. He's like, I'm going to go offer my son in sacrifice, but either God's going to stop me or he's going to revive him. He's coming back because this dude's going to be the promise. Wonder what Abraham was thinking. Do you know? I think we do know. Look at Hebrews chapter 11. And I think we've actually got the, uh, the key to this. Hebrews eleven seventeen. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, In Isaac your descendants shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. So what was Abraham thinking was going to happen? That's really the only thing Abraham apparently was able to come up with where he could go through with God's command and God could fulfill the promise at the same time. As far as I know, Abraham had never seen anybody raised from the dead. You know, this would have been kind of a unique event. But, you know, he believes God will fulfill the promise and he knows God told him to sacrifice his son. We're in Genesis 22. So, that's a lot of faith. Yeah, Ariel. I wondered before that I could be completely wrong, but the verse in Hebrews was talking about how he received him back, like he got him through Sarah even though her womb was dead. Like it was as if from they were dead. Maybe, or maybe it's saying he was as good as dead in Abraham's mind, and so it was almost like God raised him from the dead. Okay. That may be what he's saying. <laughs> By the way, um, do you know what else important um, was involving uh, the mountains of Moriah? This is where the temple would later be there. Second Chronicles 3.1 Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah. Same place where David had sacrificed in that threshing floor of Arana. So this sacrifice, so to speak, was made on the very place the temple would later be built. Second Chronicles 3.1. All right. Other thoughts and comments on these first six verses of Genesis 22? How about 7 to 10? But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. By the way, I'm paragraphing this by the here I am's in verse 1, in verse 7, and verse 11. Uh, you can do that how you want to. But 
Isaac <coughs> says, uh, my father, um, uh, we got the fire, we got the wood, but... Where's the, uh, where's the lamb? Yeah, where's the animal to sacrifice? It's kind of dawned on him they're missing something. Whoa. <laughs> Wouldn't that make it even harder for Abraham? You know, kind of his innocence and, and naivete in this. Wow. What does Abraham say? <laughs> well, that's a good answer, isn't it? And he did. And... Uh, Wow, we go in slow motion now. You know, they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. You see how, again, the narrator is making us relive every detail. And, and you just kind of feel with Abraham as he goes through all of those things. Wow. I bet Abraham was, you know, had etched in his mind every step of that process. And, um, you know, uh, this is a point that I had not thought about. Um, Bob Waldron first pointed this out to me, but... I didn't have the knife pictured properly, I don't think. When you were going to slaughter a sacrificial animal, where would the knife be? At the throat? Yes. I think it's this. I always had it pictured, ooh, you know, like he stabs his heart. But I suspect he's got it in his throat, ready to slit his throat. That's what mm -hmm. I suspect. Which, if anything, that almost seems worse. Like, wow, can you imagine doing that? And why is he doing that? God said. God said. He is willing to do anything God <coughs> says. That is faith. Wow, what a tremendous model for us, no matter how hard. Is this the only time God has required a child to be offered? I can't think of any others. Yeah. His son, Jesus. Good point. The good point. Yeah. I hadn't thought about it that way, but that's a very good point, Logan. Thank you, Cass. I think something really hard, something that would be extremely hard if I were Abraham, was just looking into the face of Isaac when he was doing this. Um, tying him up and setting him here. I think Isaac's catching on, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and so, if I were Isaac, I'd be like, what are you going to do? So, you know, I think it would be really hard just to look in his eyes and just like, kill him. You know, and I think that would add to his, his pain just sitting here looking at his son. Ever wondered what Isaac was thinking? Or saying. Or doing. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's bound. Well, that's well, he let his dad bind him. He had to let mm -hmm. him do that. But he's so laid back in his personality. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but whoa! You know, he builds the altar. He's got everything but the lab. You're going to let him tie you onto that altar? <laughs> Jacob. I think you just have to respect Isaac because, I mean, his he had faith because his dad said God would provide a lamb. 
and so he knows that everything's going to work out fine and so he's allowing anything that his dad does to be done because he knows that everything's going to work out fine because his dad said it would and because he said God will provide it and I just thought that was cool that he knew that God would work everything out fine and so he knew that whatever happened was was God's will Good point. You would have to think Isaac could at least probably have run away from his hundred and some year old father, <laughs> if not overpower him. You know? Wow. You, you mentioned, too, everything that Abraham does here is deliberate. And uh, uh, his answer uh, is such a good answer. I mean, it, it's an example that you don't have to tell everything that you know in order to tell the truth. But uh, his answer is so good, I conclude that he must have thought through this thing and had an answer for Isaac when he asked the question. So, Yeah, I agree. Other thoughts? Would you think that he had <clears throat> told Isaac at all that he was the promise? I would assume Isaac would have known that. You would think that would be a hot topic of conversation. Mm -hmm. So that could be a trial to Isaac's faith as well. You know, you really don't know what conversation went on about the time they get to the uh, place and start building the altar and we are searching around for a lamb. You know, I don't, I mean, I'm assuming perhaps Abraham told Isaac. You know, this is what God told me to do. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, 11 to 14. <coughs> really speaks well of him as a parent that his son would be so obedient. That's a good point. Yeah, a few would. Other thoughts? <coughs> you can sort of see how he, Abraham has sort of learned his lesson from earlier on in his life in that he tried to take matters into his own hands with Ishmael <coughs> and... God said, hey, this is not what my plan is for you. And so, God, and so Abraham sort of learns, okay, I don't need to take it into control. Leave it to God. God will, God will provide. Much better when we let God provide than when we try to do it ourselves. Good point. It, it appears that he didn't ask uh, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably why I left so early. <laughs> <laughs> get, it, uh, get him out of there before she gets up. Eh? Last time you asked her about uh, advice about children, it didn't work out very well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, so somebody want to read 11 to 14? And the, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, he said, here am I. And he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram, caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is, 
said to this day, On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. The angel calls to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. You don't get that double repetition of a name the Lord gives all that often. Can you think of some other times when God repeats the name twice? Samuel. Samuel, Samuel. Yeah, you just studied that. What else? Do it with Moses? Yep, at the burning bush. <coughs> and how about in the New Testament? Saul. Saul, Saul. Why persecutest thou me? But it is an indication that this is a serious matter. It's kind of an urgent matter. You know, Abraham, Abraham. And he says, here I am. The third time we've had that here I am uh, in the text. And uh, he says, don't want to stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you've not withheld your son, your only son from me. That's interesting. Would there have been any other test that would have so clearly proven Abraham's fearing God than this one. I can't think of anything. You know, I, I don't know what else you could have asked him to do that would have really shown you how he how committed he was to the Lord, how much he loved and feared and trusted God, than than for him to be willing to carry out this command. And and I think that that's a good thing to to think about when it comes to a passage like Romans chapter 8, where basically Paul makes the same point about God's sacrifice. He says in verse 32, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? You know, if God loved us enough not to spare his son, I mean, that's the greatest sacrifice you could have. You know, what more could there be? You know, I mean, wow. That, that's just, that just like epitomizes the greatest length you could go to to actually sacrifice your son. So that's very, a very good comparison. I, I, I like thinking about how the father sacrificed Jesus, kind of like Abraham was going to sacrifice Isaac. It makes it kind of bring it down in human terms and makes you really think about that. comments by this time <coughs> and and I, I think you can see reasons for the test but by this time Abraham might be thinking uh, that uh, you know, he, of course he knows that Isaac is the promised uh, son and he might be thinking that his trust might be in the wrong place now this for sure shows that it's not yep and what does God allow Abraham to do, or, or you know, show him? What does God show Abraham? A ram. A ram. For him to use in the place of Isaac. So Isaac's released from the altar, and the ram dies in his place. So God did provide. God provided, and he provided a sacrifice to take the place of Isaac. Kind of the same thing that happens for us. He provided a lamb to take our place. That lamb was actually his son. God always provides when his people have faith.
Any questions or comments through verse 14? What's up with this saying in the end of verse 14? It says, um, In the mount of the Lord it will be provided. I don't know that I can tell you any more <coughs> than what that says. Okay, because it says, as it is said to this day. So. so evidently people used that and made that kind of an expression. That you can trust God to provide. Yeah. Is that the most accurate interpretation of that? Because my side note has C. The Lord will see, or on the mount of the Lord, he shall see. I'm assuming that uh, C may be in the sense of seeing to it or whatever, mm -hmm. and therefore providing, okay. but I don't know. I'm not a Hebrew scholar. So. Other thoughts? All right, how about uh, 15 to 19? Then the angel of the Lord called Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Indeed, I will greatly bless you and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived at Beersheba. Okay, God is repeating some promises to Abraham and why does he declare these promises here? Because of his obedience. Exactly. You can look at verse 16, you can look at verse 18, because Abraham, Abraham has obeyed God and not withheld his son. Therefore, what does God say about his sons, his descendants? They will be very numerous. Uh, as numerous as the uh, stars and the sand on the seashore. And what else? In your seed, all nations will be blessed. So they will be very influential. They will, through, through his descendants, all the nations there will be blessed. And what else does he say about Abraham's descendants in the end of verse 17? Possess the gate of their enemies. What does that mean? Yes, they will conquer them and control their legal system. <laughs> you know, they will be victorious over their enemies. So, Abraham did not spare his son, therefore his descendants will be numerous, victorious, and influential. <coughs> Comments and questions? It's interesting that it's because he obeyed his voice. Like, yes. this is the promise... But almost like it's still because he obeyed, he keeps the promise, you know. Mm-hmm. Yes. Good point. Other thoughts? It's funny to see how killing your son is going to make a great nation. Yeah, it doesn't stand to be very logical, does it? It's like because you were not holding back your son, you you were going to kill him. Now I'm going to make him a nation. 
I think it's really cool that if we give our all to God, He'll give us blessings back. Definitely. Good point. Another amazing thing to me about this is, is it's it is not. Uh, there, there's no indication that Abraham talks to the his servants about this, or that he and Isaac talk about it. It's it's almost like it was no big deal, but it was a big deal. Yeah, I agree. Good point. Other thoughts? It's All right. How about? Go ahead. It's kind of like Hannah when she prayed for Samuel. And she promised that she would give him back to God. And when she did, God gave her even more children. Yes. Yeah. It's like, if well, if we're ready to give our best to God, God can give so much more to us. It's that story, some others can tell it better than me, or maybe you all know it, of the girl who had the fake pearl necklace, the little girl. You know that story? Yeah, I've, I've I have heard this. It's a cool story. I mean, basically the idea is she ha she really cherishes this this imitation pearl necklace of hers and she's like six years old or something. And her father comes into to her bedroom one night before she goes to, to bed and says, you know, do you love me? You know, yes, daddy, I love you. Uh, do you how much do you love me? Oh, I really love you. Well, would you give me your necklace? Oh, daddy, not my necklace. Take my doll, baby. He said, no, that's okay, and he leaves. Another night he comes in, goes through the same procedure. No, not my necklace, this stuffed animal. You know, and he, he's always like, no, that's okay. And finally one day, the little girl comes to him with tears in her eyes, with the necklace, giving him the necklace. When she does that, he takes the box out of his pocket that has the genuine pearl necklace he has for her. She has to be willing to give up what she's cherishing before she can get the true gift mm. that her father has that's for good. her. And that's so often the way it is for us. Mm. We have to be willing to give up what we're clinging on to before God can give us the true blessing that he wants us to have. I like that story. Yeah, that is, good. is that a children's story? or? Where is that from? I've heard it a bunch of times, I know. but I've, I've, I don't know the original source of it. Yeah become a preacher's story by now, I guess, but I don't know where it's you know the name It's it? not the necklace, because that's an old Henry, isn't it? I don't know. I don't, I don't remember what it's called. Story. The gift? The gift. No, that's not right either, I don't think. I don't remember. It's been a long time. If you can't remember the source, you can always claim it. <laughs> <laughs> they claim, you know, they claim a bad memory is the best form of a... Uh, Storytelling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that too. <laughs> somebody else's words. Right? Yeah. Yeah, but see if you forget, then it's it's you know new new material. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I I'll tell you, I forget a lot, so everything's always new to me. I, I, I come across these things and I think I never I never knew that before, and then I'm looking at my old notes and I have it right there. <laughs> you know? So it's always a new revelation to me every time I study. You know, uh, I don't know. If I could remember what I'd forgotten, I'd be a wise man. Maybe, it, maybe it's inspiration or something. Before I don't know. All right, how about twenty to twenty-four? 
Now it came about after these things that it was told Abraham, saying, Behold, Milcah also bore born children to your brother Nahor, Uz his firstborn, and Buz his brother, and Kimuel the father of Aram, and Chesed, and Hazo, and Pildash, and Jidlaf, and Bethel. Bethel became the father of Rebekah. These eight Milcah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother. His concubine, whose name was Riuma, also bore Atiba, and Gaham, and Tehash, and Maaka. Hey, that's pretty good there. <laughs> yeah. She'd be my uh, permanent name reader. Uh, at least you sounded confident. <laughs> All right. What we're doing is getting a little bit of the family tree in actually kind of comes in important a little later on. So we need to notice a couple things. We've got the family tree from Milka and Nahor. Now, who was Nahor? Abraham's brother. Yes. And who was Milka? Sarah's. No, Abraham's. Haran's daughter, wasn't it? Yes. Who was Haran? That was his other brother who died. Yes. Mm. Lot's father. Yes. So. One of Abraham's brother's daughter marries Abraham's other brother. Got that? You got a family of three boys. One of their daughters marries the other brother. So, so their offspring are going to be descendants of both brothers. I know that seems weird to us. We couldn't do that. It'd be against the law and all that. But it wasn't back then. But that, that, that is really remarkable, though, because that means that, you know, these descendants are very related, <laughs> related to both brothers. I got a point for saying that. It won't come up maybe tonight. But um, So look at their children, Uz and, and Buzz, which you know, would be a great name for twins, and uh, coming right on down to Bethuel. Now we need to know about Bethuel, Nahor and Milka's son, because who is Bethuel's daughter? Rebecca. Oh, and that's going to be important a little bit later on in the story. So Rebecca would be uh, Abraham's, what, great-niece and great-great-niece. Or something like that. Not my own grandpa. Yeah, it can get to that point. So, all right, any questions or comments through chapter 22? Um, by the way, for whatever this is worth, um, how many offspring are there here? Seven. No? Seventeen. There's eight that Milka bore to Nahor, verse 23, and his concubine bore four more, so there were twelve, which is somewhat of a pattern for the number of descendants in Abraham's family. Obviously, Abraham has twelve sons. Uh, it's also going to be a pattern with Ishmael um, a little uh, actually, yeah, uh, has been so in seventeen. That was the promise. Twelve, seventeen twenty, and then the fulfillment in chapter twenty-five. So there's maybe something about twelve and the descendants through Abra uh, through Genesis. Logan. I thought Abraham had one son and Jacob had twelve sons. What did I say? That you said Abraham, Abraham had twelve sons. Yeah, I was wondering. About Sorry that. about that. <laughs> you just keep on me. You're right, Jacob. 
I get those names all confused, <laughs> and I sound a lot alike. <laughs> <laughs> they all start with the same letter. <laughs> A to Z. I'm still thinking about us and Buzz. <laughs> that, that just always kind of uh, inspires me. 